The gospel motivates the very opposite way to the world. The world brings men into bondage. And they say to you, do or else. Do or die. But the gospel says, no. Seeing you have received such love, such mercy, such grace, now you are no longer to live under bondage, but enter into the blessing and serve God in the liberty and the freedom of the gospel. Now, in the Old Testament, God did exactly the same thing. Because when He gave them the Ten Commandments, He didn't give them because they were in bondage, but He gave them the Ten Commandments because they were already out of bondage. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher, and today we have a message on Romans chapter 12, God's mercy. What is the difference between grace and mercy? Well, grace is to receive what we don't deserve, and mercy is to not receive what we do deserve. Sounds confusing? Well, We'll try and deal with it in the message today, and I trust the Lord will open your heart to understand God's marvelous grace. We have a hymn today by Al Smith where he sings, He Loves Even Me. And then we have a story on two miracles. Yes, the story of a judge versus a burglar, both made Christians, both at the same communion table, remembering the death the cleansing power of Jesus' blood. And what a miracle! Two men in the opposite scales of life, and yet they are both communing together and rejoicing in the same Savior and in the power of the gospel. It is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. For therein is revealed the righteousness of God from faith to faith. That's Romans 1, 16, verse 16 and 17. I trust that you will know the power of the gospel, the life-changing power, the sin-cleansing power, and the sin-killing power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus in your heart and in your life. Stay tuned with us right through the program today. And may the Lord minister to your heart as we let the Bible speak on Romans 12, verse 2. Let's turn in our Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And we're going to read, actually, from Romans 11, verse 30, verse 30, on into chapter 12, verse 1. Romans 11, verse 30. For as ye in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief, even so have these also now not believed that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that ye might have mercy upon all. All the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, 
and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. <laughs> to preach on God's grace is like preaching on the ocean, or on the universe, or to try and define the word infinite. God's grace flows out of the heart of an infinite God. And it is difficult for us to comprehend uh, the extent of that grace. I've been a Christian now for 42 years, and I've been trying to get my mind around the doctrine of God's grace. And it's like digging in a mine that never bottoms out. You can never exhaust the subject of God's marvelous grace. Now, the word grace doesn't appear here in Romans 12, verse 1, but rather you have this word mercy. Mercy. And you'll notice, and this is the reason why I wanted to read back into chapter 11, that the word mercies, plural, come up again and again and again. Because in reality, this book of Romans, which is the expository message of the gospel, explains God's mercy to our souls. Now, Paul used the fact of God's unnumbered mercies, his undeserved mercies to us, as a motivator. And he enters into the very plea with God's people, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. The gospel motivates the very opposite way to the world. The world brings men into bondage. And they say to you, do or else. Do or die. But the gospel says, no. Seeing you have received such love, such mercy, such grace, now you are no longer to live under bondage, but enter into the blessing and serve God in the liberty and the freedom of the gospel. Now, in the Old Testament, God did exactly the same thing. Because when He gave them the Ten Commandments, He didn't give them because they were in bondage, but He gave them the Ten Commandments because they were already out of bondage. In Exodus 20, He says, I am the Lord that brought you out of the bondage of Egypt. And then He gave them the law, the Ten Commandments. And so Christians serve God not out of bondage, but out of freedom, out of liberty. And it is the liberating message of the gospel that motivates our hearts. And Paul says here in Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies. And he uses mercy as a motivator. And so you can understand then that the better we understand mercy, the more it will motivate us. And the more we then can apply that mercy to our daily living 
and our daily walk. So I want to give you two things today. One is apprehend mercy, and then apply mercy. Understand it, and then you'll put it to work in your own Christian life and experience. And so we need to develop a better understanding of God's mercy. And I think at the very outset, the more we understand mercy, the more we will enjoy its freedom. One of our ministers, the Reverend Jeff Bannister, who preaches in Indianapolis, and Lord willing, will be down in his church for the week of prayer uh, in a few days' time, not this week, but the following week. Uh, He has a famous saying that it's his job as pastor to convince God's people just how blessed they really are. It's not our job to browbeat and bring people into guilt, but it is our task to see and cause men and women to see what the Lord has done for them. And so to understand mercy, we need to begin with a definition. Now, the Greek word behind mercy is a bit of a strange one. And in English, when you transliterate it, it sounds like this, oik termos. Now, that might remind you of a pig eating termites, pigs eating those little incense sects. That's a way to remember it, oik termos. And that's the word used here in Romans 12.1. But Paul uses a slightly different word in chapter 11, and it is eleos. And when you combine those words together, it means God's pity, God's compassion. And that's what God's mercy to us is. He has not dealt with us according to our deserts, but according to His grace. Now, there is a shade of difference between grace and mercy. Grace is to receive what you never deserved. Mercy is to be delivered from what you did deserve. Now, we, because of our sins, deserved hell. We deserved eternal torments in the flames of hell. And God has dealt with us by delivering us out of that misery. And He has given us what we have never deserved, a title to heaven. And so you can see that grace and mercy really are the flip sides of the coin. One is to give us what we never deserved, heaven, glory, God's blessing, God's favor. And mercy is to be delivered from what we by nature, by our own sin and folly, really do deserve, eternal misery. If you're here today as a Christian, God is dealing with you in the terms of grace. We ought to be motivated by mercy. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. And then he goes on to plead that they offer their lives on that altar as a living sacrifice. And this is how the gospel motivates our heart. Now, over those summer weeks, when I had a little more time and opportunity, one treasure little book that I discovered in a used bookstore was the story of a victim in Rome. It's about a British boy going away back to the time of the Caesars, probably around 55 AD, 
when the Roman army conquered this Celtic people in Britain. And, of course, the native Brits, who were really heathen at that time, they put on their war paint. And they thought that their uh, superstitious gods would deliver them from the might of Rome. But Rome, the disciplined army, with all its training, crushed everything before it. And so this people were conquered, and this boy was soon on a galley ship on his way to Rome. When he arrived in Italy, of course, he had to walk the roads to Rome. And along the way, he began to understand the mastery of Rome because he witnessed along the roadways cross after cross after cross with victims writhing in the agonies of crucifixion. And Bryn, the British boy, was learning the cruelty, the mastery of Rome. It's either do or die. Soon he was on an auction block and he was sold off to a fairly rich captain. And he entered into the life of a villa where he was assisting the cook. There were many slaves in the home and he got to learn what Romans ate, especially the rich ones, and how finely they dined in their beautiful homes. He saw much of the glory, the glamour of the of the infrastructure of Rome. But he also saw its slums and sensed its stench of the poor and the slaves that lived nigh unto deathly conditions. Now, he wasn't at peace, of course. And he determined that he was going to find his way back to Britain as quickly as possible. And so he stole away. And a bit like Onesimus that you read of in the book of Philemon, he stole from his master to pay the voyage back to Britain. Well, he didn't realize that in Italy, ships don't sail in the wintertime. And so he was soon caught as a thief, and he was in deep trouble. His master said, I never keep servants or slaves that I cannot trust. And so he was sold again on the auction block, this time not only as a slave, but as a thief. And he was bought for cheap by a farmer, and all the situation there was grim. For many weeks he worked in chains along with the workers on the farm. They were hardened men. They were groomed by hopelessness, and they had no hope of ever bettering themselves in that situation. Now what I forgot to tell you was that in this short period of freedom, Bryn discovered a number of Christians, and they were known by the little fish sign on the doors where they met in cellars in the cave-like darkness of meeting places at night. And he got to know a number of Christians, and they fed him, and they cared for him for a time. One in particular, a Christian slave called Tyro. And when Bryn was working in the farm, going down those long, long vine, rows of vines in the hot sun, thinking he was never, ever to escape, rode up on the roadside this other Christian slave who had brought his master's chariot and the money to set him free, 800 denarii. And so Bryn was freed 
as a free man in Rome. And of course you immediately think that he's going to flee back to Britain. This is a gospel message because you and I have been slaves to sin. We were in the kingdom of Satan. We were enchained by the iniquities and the sins of the flesh. We have been guilty and condemned. Indeed, without God's grace, we were absolutely hopeless. What has the gospel done for you? Are you not a recipient of mercy? Your sins are washed away. Your indebtedness all paid. You have been set free. Free to serve, love, worship the Lord of glory. Dealt with on the terms of mercy. And if you read through the book of Romans, you go from chapter 1 where you have man's guilt chapter 3 to his uh, coming short of the glory of God, chapter 4 to justification by faith, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. That's Romans 5. Romans 8, therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, that we are set free from the bondage of sin. And then Paul says in Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Why do we serve the Lord Jesus? Why do we, are we motivated to be Christians, to worship Him and serve Him? Because we are debtors to grace. And that is the greatest motivation of all. It is not the hammer of the law. It is not conviction of sin. But it is God's infinite mercy to us that he has dealt with us according to grace. Now, to understand mercy, we have to understand the source. And of course, the source is our Father in heaven. God is the source. Of mercy. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. And in Corinthians, Paul says that uh, we are saved by the God of mercy. That's his name. That's his title. That's his delight to deal with us in mercy. Another way to appreciate mercy is the number of them. Did you notice that Paul puts it in the plural? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Untold, unnumbered. How many mercies have you received from God? Do we not rise every morning with new mercies every day? Is every gift that we receive in a sinful world not mercy? The very breath we breathe, the very food we eat, the life we enjoy and liberty to worship the Lord, every one of these are mercies. And then as David rested in a time of difficulty in his life, he went to talk about the sure mercies of David, a covenant mercy. And God is dealing with every one of us by an arrangement, a contract, or a covenant of mercy. And when we get to heaven, the only reason we will be there 
is because God condescended, entered into a covenant arrangement to deal with us, not according to what we deserve, but to deliver us from what we deserve and bring us home to glory. When I think of my Savior's great love In coming from heaven above To die on the tree for a sinner like me I am sure that he loves even me
The pastor saw an erstwhile burglar kneel beside a judge of the Supreme Court of England. The judge who had sent him to jail, where he had served seven years. After his release, he was converted and became a Christian worker. Neither seemed to see the other. After the service, the judge walking home with the pastor said, Did you notice who was kneeling beside me at the Lord's table this morning? Yes, replied the pastor, but I did not know that you noticed it. Presently the judge exclaimed, What a miracle of grace! Yes, a marvelous miracle of grace, replied the pastor. But to whom do you refer, queried the judge? To so-and-so, said the pastor, mentioning the name of the burglar. I was not referring to him, said the judge. I was thinking of myself. You were thinking of yourself? Yes, it did not cost that burglar much to get converted when he came out of jail. He had nothing but a history of crime behind him. And when he saw Jesus as his Savior, he knew there was salvation and hope and joy for him. But look at me. I was taught from earliest infancy to live as a gentleman, that my word was to be my bond, that I was to say my prayers, go to church, take communion, and so on. I went through Oxford, took my degrees, was called to the bar, and eventually became a judge. Man, nothing but the grace of God could have caused me to admit I was a sinner on a level with that burglar. It was harder for me to get converted than for that burglar. Well, we know that the pride of man is a huge problem. And when someone is walking the clean side of the road from their infancy and has not caused any outstanding scandalous sins, then to take the place of a sinner, it takes indeed great grace. But we also know that except by the Spirit of the Lord, no man calleth Jesus Lord. Every conversion is a miracle, whether it be a thief as the dying thief on the cross, or Paul the Apostle, who had to renounce all his own self-righteousness, his Jewish heritage, and his claims to nigh human perfection. But all of that, we are told, he counted but dung, that he might win Christ. And my friend, if you're listening today and you're not converted, you need to come as a sinner to Jesus. You need to lay aside every self-prop, every hope that you have, every confidence in the flesh, and take your place as a sinner, a filthy, hell-deserving sinner. Come to the feet of Jesus, bow at the cross, and take the cleansing that Jesus offers to wash sinners white as snow. If I can be of personal help in your search to know the Lord, I will gladly be of help to you. I have gospel literature that I can send you, a Bible. I can talk with you and open up the Bible and perhaps show you some verses how you can be saved. So please give me a call or send me an email. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to 
ltbs.ca, CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast, and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Music